Good morning. Thank you, Joe, for reading. I was at the Shepherds Conference a few years back, and I heard Mark Dever preach a sermon on Psalm 119, and the sermon took about an hour and 45 minutes, and he began that sermon by reading the entire Psalm 119, and it took about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, I was tempted to do that here this morning, but I wanted to get you out of here before one o'clock, so I just gave you the bookends with uh, what Joe just read, the first and last stanza of this great um, psalm. But we began the study of this psalm, our sermon series on Psalm 119, in September of 2017. Uh, Many of you were here, many of you were not. But we've been in this book now for almost four years, or this chapter for almost four years, and uh, some would say that's a long time to be in a chapter, but it's a long chapter, right? Um, Besides that, we took two breaks, if you remember. We uh, took a break early on after the first third of the, of the uh, chapter. We took a break and studied the book of James that discussed genuine faith, authentic faith. How do you know if your faith is authentic? The book of James tells you. And then we got back and did the middle third of Psalm 119 and then took another break to study the book of Philippians where we discovered what it meant to be a partner in gospel ministry. A partner, not with just each other or with our church, but a partner with all Christians who've ever lived throughout all of time to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We are gospel partners. And then we return to Psalm 119 last year to finish our study of this long and good chapter. And here we are today with the final sermon on Psalm 119. As I thought back over our time in Psalm 119, I realized how interesting it was that the book of James and the book of Philippians seemed to perfectly dovetail with what Psalm 119 teaches. And then I thought, that's not really all that big of a deal. I mean, after all, it is the Word of God, right? We have one purpose, one direction, one story. And each of its parts, including Philippians and James and Psalm 119, all play their role in this one thing. So it, it, it really was a beautiful thing in my eyes to see the, the coming together, the continuity between James, Philippians, and Psalm 119, but it really wasn't surprising. Now we're completing here today the last sermon of Psalm 119, and we'll begin next week, Lord willing, uh, starting a new sermon series, and I hope to complete that sermon series before I leave on sabbatical in June, but we're just going to review Romans chapter 8 for about eight weeks, and then I'll be on my sabbatical, and Pastor Rick's going to continue teaching through uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. But uh, we're hoping to review and and be encouraged by uh, Romans chapter 8. And some have said Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. And we'll see about that. But anyways, I'm looking forward to it. And I hope you will join us starting next week for that sermon series also. But I began our, our 
sermon series here in Psalm 119 with two quotes to give you kind of an idea of why I decided to preach Psalm 119. The first quote came from Franz Delitzsch, who was a well-known Old Testament scholar, and he wrote this. He said, in Psalm 119, we have set forth in inexhaustible fullness what the word of God is to a man and how a man is to behave himself in relation to it. So if we're so committed to the word of God at Sun Valley Church, and we make a big deal of that, we, we are really committed to the word of God, we ought to know why we're committed to the word of God, don't you think? It's one thing to be committed, but it's another thing, completely different thing, an important thing to know why we're committed so heavily to the word of God. Why do we, for example, begin teaching the Bible to our infants in the nursery? Why do we continue teaching, admonishing, preaching, counseling, discipling on only the word of God in this church? There's a reason for it. And guess where we find out that reason? Psalm 119 tells us why. Psalm 119 tells us why it ought to be an important part of our lives, daily lives. This is why we studied it. Jonathan Edwards' quote I also began with, he said this, I know of no part of the Holy Scriptures where the nature and evidences of true and sincere godliness are so fully and largely insisted on and delineated as in the 119th Psalm. And of course, you know who Jonathan Edwards is, right? One of our primary goals at Sun Valley Church is to join the Holy Spirit in his work of transforming his people. So the Holy Spirit, one of his roles, primary roles, is to change you and me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You know how he does that, right? It's really pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Becoming like Jesus is simple, right? How, do, how does the Holy Spirit do that? How do we join the Holy Spirit in becoming, helping each other become like Jesus? Psalm 119 tells us. Tells us exactly how we do this. As a church, as parents, as individuals, helping one another become more and more like Jesus. We simply put um, the principles of Scripture into the lives of one another and watch God do his work. We, it's, we don't need to have complicated strategies as a church or, or cool purpose statements or cutting-edge ideas. We simply need to do what Psalm 119 says to do, which is, to saturate you with the word of God and let God do what he specializes in, which is transforming his people. That's what we do. Psalm 119 clearly explains what a godly life looks like and then trains us to apply, apply biblical principles to our daily lives and stand back and watch God do what only God can do. So, let me review Psalm 119 for you today, very briefly, superficially, but to remind you of all these wonderful truths that we've learned in the past three and a half years in our study of this particular psalm. First of all, we need to remember <clears throat> that God's word is a multi-dimensional revelation. God's word is a multi-dimensional revelation. Well, 
I was trying to think of a way to uh, explain or illustrate this truth to you. And, and I usually these things come to me either Saturday night or early Sunday morning. And this morning was the time this came to me. And it is the diamond, okay? The gemstone, the diamond. It is comprised of eight main components, if you didn't know this. And the components of a diamond are the diameter, table, crown, table spread, girdle, pavilion, depth, and coolant. Does anybody know that? Any, any uh, gemstone experts here? Well, there are these eight parts to the diamond. Guess how many terms there are for the Bible in Psalm 119? Take a wild guess. Eight. You guys are geniuses. It's amazing. This is exactly the case in Psalm 119. It uses eight different terms or names or titles for the Word of God. And each of those titles kind of unfolds a new facet or a unique facet of God's Word that helps us understand a little bit more of its value, of its purpose. It's, it's an eight-dimensional quality that Psalm 119 lays out. And each of these contributes to our better understanding of what Scripture is and why it's important that we apply it to our lives daily. Here are those eight titles. Law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, word, and promise. These are used interchangeably throughout the entire psalm, but each time they're used, they're used specifically to communicate some particular nuance about what's being said at that moment concerning the Word of God. For example, whenever the, the, the prophet here, the author, uses the word Torah or law, he's referring to Torah, and it means that he's intending to teach us something particular right now as the Torah does. When he uses the title precepts, he's pointing out to the particular instruction of God who cares about detail, precepts. When he speaks about commandments, for example, this name of the scriptures emphasizes the authority, what I've said. It's a commandment, and God has the right to give commandments because he's God. And so he uses that synonym, that, as that particular aspect of scripture. And then he uses other, these others, but including promise. And that particular word, whenever you come across it in Psalm 119, the author is trying to communicate to you to help us focus on the way that God fulfills his promises to his people. And on down the line, through all eight of them, they are specifically designed to help us think a little more deeply, a little more clearly about the importance of God's word in each of our lives daily. Secondly, God's word intends for us to respond to God's word. There is a response that should be on the other end of taking in God's word. God's word can't become a book that sits on our shelves at home gathering dust, never being picked up, never being read. Why? Because God's word's intended to be interacted with for God's people. Ignoring the word of God is a sure road to disappointment in life, discouragement with your circumstances or even despair about what you're going through, certainly misunderstanding what life is about if you don't pick up God's word. 
So ignoring the word of God results in living a life by your own wisdom or by the wisdom that you pick up out in the world, both of which have been proven to be faulty. Your wisdom, my wisdom, the world's wisdom is not the best wisdom to base your life on. God's word here is presented as perfect wisdom, never failing, always guiding, directing accurately. So Psalm 119 has taught us that the Bible must be something that we always have on hand, always have in our mind. It must be to us as Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. He said this in verses 6 through 9. And these words, that is the words of God that I command you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of God must just be totally covering, saturating, immersing you in itself. And the... the the psalm that we've studied here, Psalm 119, reveals at least three important responses that we ought to have when we encounter the Word of God. I'm sure these will ring a bell with you if you sat through these sermons on Psalm 119. And of course, these responses reveal why God's Word is so important to us and, and why it should be a daily part of our lives. First of all, delight. Delight is the first response that we learned is a part of being in God's word. And this concept of delight echoes all over this chamber of Psalm 119. We, we could even call it a theme of Psalm 119. Delight is a theme of Psalm 119. Look at verse 14, for example. As early as verse 14, it says this, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. As much as you would delight in winning the lottery is the amount of delight you ought to have in the Word of God. And I know how you would respond to winning the lottery, right? How do we respond to the Word of God that we possess currently, right now, in our hands? In the way of your testimonies, I delight as in much as in all riches. And then in verse 16, he says this, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So this idea of delighting in God's word is shown throughout the psalm to be an appropriate and primary response of God's people to God's word. It seems that, that um, the joy and delight that comes from being in the word of God acts as a, a nectar, really, like, like the nectar that attracts the bee, it's a nectar that attracts God's people. Let me ask you a question. Do you want more joy and delight? All of us would say yes. I haven't asked that question once of anybody who says, no, I've had enough. No. Do you want more joy and delight? Yes. You know what Psalm 119 says? Then come on in. That's what Psalm 119 says. Do you need more joy and delight? Do you want more joy and delight? Then here you go. The Word of God is where you're going to find it. That finds itself on the pages of Psalm 119. It reminds us that Scripture brings delight to those who are in them, and not just delight in the Word, but a, a thorough delight in all of life. Do you know that? When you're in the Word of God, you not only delight in the Word, but you seem to enjoy life more. 
This is what the Word of God does for God's people. So if you lack delight and joy in your life, God promises that those who will spend time immersing themselves in his word will find delight in his word, will find delight in him, will find delight in life. I can use all of that personally. But beyond delight is this concept of love that seems to keep popping up in Psalm 119. A response of love is the next one I want to point out to you. But these two are obviously connected, delight and love, right? I mean, why do you delight in certain things? It's because you love them. You delight in your children, you delight in your spouse, you delight in your job, if you do. You delight in camping, fishing, whatever it is. Why? Because you love them. You love those things. And look what Psalm 119, verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, now here's a surprise, which I love. <laughs> Right? Why does he delight in them? Because he loves them. That's why he delights in them. We delight in the things we love. That's why we spend time in them, doing them, experiencing them. The, the psalm reveals that those who love God and love his word end up loving life. And not only that, and here's an interesting matter that we discovered in Psalm 190. Not only do we love God and his word and loving life, but those who are saturated in God's word, listen, are sources of love and encouragement to those around them. Are, are people in your life lacking encouragement? Lacking love? Guess how you can help them? By being saturated in God's word yourself. When you saturate yourself with God's word, Psalm 119 tells us that we'll be an encouragement, a source of love and hope to those in our lives. One of the best ways you can help your children be well-adapted, loving individuals is by saturating yourself in the Word of God. The word love, in fact, is used 18 times in this one psalm. And it reveals how important it is that we have such familiarity with God's word, such a dependence on God's word, that we could say, we love God's word. How do I know we love? Well, I'm saturated in it. I need it. I'm dependent on it. The Mem stanza, remember each of these stanzas is named after a Hebrew letter of the alphabet. You remember that? Well, the Mem stanza, verses 97 through 104, has a particular focus on this concept of love's relationship to God's word and how it prompts love in the lives of his people. In fact, this stanza begins in verse 97, which says, Oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation all the day. You remember when you were first dating that person that you married, if you're married? You remember those days when you first started dating them? What do you think about day and night? That person, right? Yeah. It was like you couldn't wait to get together with them. You couldn't wait to receive a note from them. It was your mind was saturated with thoughts of that person. Well, this is what goes on with God's word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The writer records his longing for God's word in verse 20. Look at verse 20 real quickly. 
My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And then verse 40 says something very similar. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. And he experiences fulfillment of this longing like one who would experience fulfillment from eating a pint of honey. Now, that may make some of you sick, but the idea of honey in Scripture is attractive. All right? And he says, he says in verse 103 that it, his appetite is fulfilled as if he had just eaten honey when he partakes in God's Word. It, it's that scrumptious to him. And in verse 131, he says he has a, a panting urgency. My soul pants for your word. This, this love for God's word goes beyond God's word and to its appropriate end, which is God himself, isn't it? We, we are not just consumed with God's word for God's, this book's sake. We're consumed with this word because its author wrote it for us to get to know him. And so the end result here is not to be a bookworm, but to be consumed with the God of the book. Verse 2 of this psalm, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. That's the objective. It's because the psalmist loves God that he loves his word. To get more God, you've got to get more word. Our commitment here at Sun Valley Church to SVC is not just about the scriptures, but about the God of the scriptures. We are not idolaters here because we lift up God's word. We lift up and exalt God's word because we know it is therein that God exists. Right? Our study, preaching, and teaching of the Bible is not so that you'll win Bible trivia games, but so that you'll get connected to your creator, who is the source of all good. Whether or not you know it, you need God. You say, no, I actually, <laughs> I need more money. Got enough God. Well, Psalm 119 says, no, you need more God. You say, no, I need more friends. Well, listen to the genius and beauty of Psalm 119. If you pursue God's gifts, which is money, friends, health, beauty, etc., all these good gifts that God gives to his people, right? If those gifts are your pursuit, you will never find the fulfillment in them that you're seeking. But if you turn that equation around and seek the God of those gifts, guess what happens? You find fulfillment, joy, and peace that you were seeking in the gifts. You've got to seek the God of the gifts, not the gifts. If you want to experience this joy and fulfillment that life offers in God, Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, there you go. All we got to do is figure out how to delight in the Lord. And then we will receive all the desires of our heart. How do we, pray tell, delight in the Lord? Here's a clue. Psalm 119 is about that very thing. If, if you want to delight in the Lord, you delight in his word. If you'll delight in his word, he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Now there's a little trickery there that I need to make you aware of from the psalmist. He's not saying if you really want a Porsche, you're going to read the Bible. He's saying if you really want the satisfaction that you think a Porsche will bring, read the Bible and God will change your desires. That's a side note. That was, that was extra, but that's what's going on here. All right, now let's look at the next response we ought to have in God's word. Ah, A-W-E, ah. Psalm 119, verse 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. In the midst of life's most perplexing things, like princes persecuting you, or presidents persecuting you, or governors, the Bible tells us that the voice of God created the universe controls the orbits of planets and stars, commands the winds and rains, establishes kings, presidents, and dictators. What we hold in our hands, friends, this book is the record of God's word. His spoken word is recorded. The thing that controls all the matters of the universe is here recorded for us. What's that? That should cause a response of, wow, awe. Amazement. Is there any doubt why God's word brings delight, love, and awe as responses to God's people? This is the king of the universe speaking here. Why should we respond with awe, love, and delight in God's word? Well, let me go through them one at a time. It's the sense of awe that draws us into worship for which we've been created. You knew this, right? You've been created to worship God. This is why you're in existence. And you know what draws you into that place of worship? Awe of God. You know where you get awe of God trained into your soul? The scriptures. Secondly, it's the response of love that motivates sincere obedience and sacrificial service. You know how you're going to continually be successful at obeying God's word, of sacrificing your own wants for the, for the benefit of others? Loving God. That's how. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. We love God and it pours out to those around us through sacrificial service, sincere obedience. Thirdly, it is the experience of delight, awe, love, now delight, that keeps us coming back for more and taking in more and more of God and more and more of his word. That's why you will continue to get out of bed in the morning a few minutes early and read the scriptures. That's why you'll bypass other things in your life on the weekends that you would rather be doing maybe and come to church and hear it preached. Why? Because these are the kind of responses that you want. Awe, delight, and love. This is what makes us Christians. Thirdly, God's word has benefits. 
God's word has benefits. We learn this repeatedly in Psalm 119. It seems that almost every verse has a benefit of God's word in the life of God's people, if you'll just submerge yourself in it. Almost every verse. We learn, for example, that if we submerge ourselves in the word of God, we experience a life of freedom. A life of freedom. This psalm speaks often of commandments, but in verse 45, look at what it says. And this is counterintuitive. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. The details. Remember, precepts is about the details. I have found myself in a wide place because of the details of God's word. That is counterintuitive. You would think it'd be just the opposite. In fact, we're accused it. We're accused as Christians of experiencing the opposite. We're accused of being beat down by the details. We're accused of having this weight of to-do lists, aren't we? Evidently, the author of Psalm 119 thinks quite differently about the matter. He's saying, I find freedom in the details. How can this be? Well, let's look at it for a second. Our freedom is found within God's precepts, not in a release from them. Many skeptics suggest, as I just mentioned, that Christians are under the weight of to-do lists, under the laws, rules, and those things make life miserable. But the psalmist is saying the opposite is true. The genuine believer is the freest being on the planet, he contends. And here's two reasons that we learn from Psalm 119. And, it is, and here's the first. We break sin's dominion over us as we align our way with God's way. We break sin's dominion. That's an oppressive word. It's a, it's a, a word that has the idea of enslavement. All right? We break sin's dominion over us as we align our way with God's word. For example, Psalm 119, 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. The promise of God is that no iniquity will get dominion or have mastery over one of God's people if we find ourselves regularly in God's word. That's what verse 133 is saying. And of course, your promise we know is one of the synonyms there. It's a reference to God's word. And when we are careful to follow the instructions and directions of God's word, we discover that the sinful things that used to hold us in bondage are surely but slowly broken. You wanna get past some sin in your life that you just can't seem to shake? Here's what Psalm 19, 119 would say, get into the word of God. Let it flood over your soul and clean you and you will be amazed to discover that you are no longer in bondage. You are no longer enslaved. Secondly, the second reason that we are free, those of us who adhere to the details of God's word is because of the mind freeing encounter with a greater wisdom, a greater vision than we can produce ourselves. I hope you've learned this by now, that your wisdom is susceptible. That, that my wisdom isn't always all that good. Even our wisdom is not really the best thing to follow at all times. 
But we read in Scripture of a wisdom that's, hear me, perfect. A perfect wisdom. A wisdom that never steers you wrong. A wisdom that's never in failure. Look at verse 132 or 32 of Psalm 119. I will run in the way of your commandments. I will live a life that's reflecting the goodness of God. When? When you enlarge my heart. That's when. He's not talking about his physical heart. He's talking about his mind. When the wisdom of God floods my mind, I will be able to walk circumspectly, to walk successfully, to walk in victory. Because the word of God in its perfect wisdom is guiding me down this path. Our loving God, who has revealed himself to us in his word, makes us walk through this life in a wide and free place. You might say, well, didn't Jesus say it was a narrow gate? And the answer is yes, there's only one gate and it is narrow. That gate is called Jesus Christ, right? Jesus himself said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father, no one gets to heaven, no one has their sins forgiven, but through me. It's narrow. It's one person and his name is Jesus. There's no other way. But once you get through that gate, <laughs> an amazing freedom opens up for the Christian, for the one who's willing to saturate their heart and mind with the scripture, an amazing freedom. Not this, not this oppressive to-do list type of Christianity, something far more encouraging, far better. <clears throat> David Needham used to use an illustration David Needham used to be a professor at uh, Multnomah School of the Bible where I graduated from down in Portland, Oregon. He used an illustration about the importance of knowing who we are in Christ by telling the story of a young eaglet that fell out of her nest to the ground below and rolled into a rabbit hole. It grew up thinking it was a rabbit, this eagle. Uh, and it learned how to hop along with the other bunnies, even learned how to eat grass, even though that was kind of awkward with the beak thing. Um, all the other bunnies thought this particular bunny looked a bit funny uh, with its deformed front legs that kind of looked like wings. Um, and then this abnormally large nose, which was yellow, um, but it was actually a beak. This maladjusted eaglet used to look up at the soaring eagles in the sky above and dream about being able to be free from this bondage of hopping awkwardly along the ground looking for grass that she could actually get into her beak. She dreamed of being able to fly as they did. It wasn't until Mother Rabbit actually told the young eaglet of her true identity and where she came from that the eagle finally realized her potential and learned to fly and soar with those who were born to be free. That revelation of the mother rabbit is like the word of God to you and me. God has spoken to us in his word, and in that word, we find out who we are in Christ and learn of a free and satisfying life that's found only in him. We aren't rabbits, right? We're eagles. If we'll just but know it, it's revealed in Scripture. I want our Christian life, Sun Valley Church, to be ones of soaring freedom in Christ. 
I want each of us to feel the delight, love, and awe that this psalm describes is available to those who will simply take in God's word. I don't want any of us to go through this life just hearing about and longing, longingly look at those great Christian eagles of church history. I want us to be those eagles. And how is this going to happen? It's really complicated. Follow me. Open the Bible. That's how it happens. Be exposed, submersed, saturated in to the scriptures. Psalm 119 has taught us the way to soar through the intake of of and submersion in God's word. This psalm motivates us to get out of bed. This psalm motivates us to get to church. This psalm encourages us to trust the living God in his living word. We were created, friends, by God to experience God, and our access to God is in God's word. Here's another benefit of the word that's revealed in Psalm 119, a, light of, a life of light, a life of light. If you've ever walked in a dark place, you understand the importance of light. Probably one of the most memorable verses in the Bible is one we've all had memorized, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Yes, but having sight that's given by light without insight, sight without insight, is of little value, which is why the psalmist repeatedly pleads for understanding. Give me understanding, give me understanding, please give me understanding. Verse 34, 73, 125, 144, and 169. He's asking for discernment. Help me understand life. Verse 104 clarifies this for us. It says in that verse, through your precepts, I get understanding. Through God's word, I figure stuff out. Verse 130 is why I preach. It's why I entered the ministry. Verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I admit in front of all of you, I am simple. I am not a scholar. I am of the simplest. And I want understanding. I want to learn how to live life as I should. I want to be a source of encouragement and hope to those around me, including my own family. And so, where do we get this information? Where do we get this light and insight? The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I want to unfold God's word for you so that you will have a full and joyful life. I want you to know God through Christ. I want you to be filled with the fullness of God, Sun Valley Church. Next, the third thing is a life of stability. Psalm 119, verse 23 says, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Even though everything is coming apart at the seams, we have a stable place to stand. The pandemic of this past year has been a great opportunity to experience this very thing. If you've been in the Word this last year, you have not been concerned with COVID. If you have been concerned with COVID, it means you haven't been in the Word. It's real simple here. 
Who's in control of all this, including COVID? Did COVID hit God by surprise? Oh no, now what am I gonna do? That's not how it happened. God sent COVID, not Wuhan. So, God has an intention in all things, including this past pandemic. Have you been at peace in your life when things are hitting the fan? Or you run out of the room screaming and throwing your hands up in the air? Every one of us desires stability, certainty, surety. The Bible is the source of that stability because its author is the stable foundation of all existence. If anything is stable, it's God, right? And when the believer runs to scripture, it isn't the same as people who run to yoga or who run to therapy or who run to alcohol. We run to God, we run to his word because we're living by faith. We believe what God's word has said about stability, about safety, security. It's found in God and God alone and in his providential sovereign work over all things. And then fourth, this is going to have to be added to your notes because it didn't make it into the print version, is a life of happiness. A life of happiness. Psalm 119 says that happy are those who find themselves in God's word. How can God's word grant a happy life? Well, I think we each understand that spiritual life comes through the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of Christ. But the word of God also brings an abundant life, Jesus said in John 10. Psalm 119 indicates that the intake of God's word actually brings about a happy and fulfilling life. Listen to the first two verses again. Blessed, and what's that word mean? Happy. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119 begins with the promises of happiness and ends with pleas for help. Can there be an any more thorough view of the Christian life? A desire for fulfillment, happiness, and peace found only in Christ, and then an ongoing continual commitment to a dependence on that same Christ My goal in preaching this psalm to you was that you would embrace the truth that we must be saturated in God's word if we expect to walk faithfully and joyfully with God through life daily. I hope you've heard it. I hope you'll continue to practice it. And from time to time, I hope you'll pick up Psalm 119 and read it. And let the Holy Spirit once again remind you of all these important things that we've learned over the past four years. I want to conclude this sermon series and this sermon with A.W. Tozer's prayer that fits so well with what we've been studying. And it's going to be our concluding prayer this morning. Pray with me if you would. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace, 
I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Amen. <laughs>